Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of the Kitabi Karwan podcast. In today's episode we have with us Miss Nandita Das. She's very well known for her brilliant directorial movies Firak and Manto. At the same time she's also known for being a multi-talented actress, writer, theater personality and has donned many other hats. Without any further ado, let's begin. So uh, hi Nandita welcome to Kitabi Karwan and uh, this is uh, really really happy to have you here I think it's uh, let's just address the elephant in the room it's going to be a very any conversation which revolves around books and you has to start from Manto has to have uh, <laughs> it has to be there it's, it's I'm just That's saying. probably one author I've read the most also so yeah uh, in fact uh, I was uh, I haven't read your book Manto and I but I uh, heard snippets of your yeah. interview at the book launch at JLF right and uh, it just okay. spoke volumes about how you spent like 6 years just re- mm-hmm. reading Manto's work and uh, that's quite yeah, uh, quite intense <laughs> i'm i'm pretty sure so again i'm not too sure if you've ever spoken about this before but what like did you ever stumble across Manto or was it something you've read earlier in your life what what just drove you towards this one i mean there are a couple of other authors from that period also yeah. who are just as remarkable sure, if not more sure very like, good one right, right. Mm. Ch- chuktai for example like abs- like right yeah, there when you talk about manto so what was it yeah. about manto that you know attracted you to his a his literature and b towards his story like his story as an author So to answer your earlier question mm-hmm. that I first in fact read Manto when I was in college mm-hmm. uh, I studied in Delhi and uh, right. I went to see a play a small play on Toba Tekes in one of his best known right. stories yeah. it was actually a pretty bad play and I came out thinking wow the story is really powerful even though it wasn't performed yeah. so well yeah. and uh, it was in a place called Shriram Center and there was a little bookshop mm-hmm. there and it had all the five volumes of manto's collection and that too in devnagari so original manto's writings but yeah. in the hindi script devnagari and i picked that up and it's still with me actually in my bookshelf and uh, i started reading i only read some of the stories and because it was in hindi and all of us are educated in english now mm-hmm. thanks to the mm-hmm. colonization you know you don't you have to make an extra effort to read hindi later in life but i went to a school which actually put a lot of attention on hindi my hindi was pretty good but i still right. only read about you know 10 stories maybe 10 or 12 stories and then right. it kind of got left out you know and right. uh, i kind of picked it i did want to when i started acting i thought it would be wonderful to do short stories into short right. films which never happened and then it was in 2012 which was manto's centenary that lots was being written about him and his stories were being translated you know i mean i started reading the translations and right. and just reading about him i think intrigued me more and i picked up those books and i started reading his essays and right. i was just struck by the person he was of course the stories are so powerful undoubtedly but that's his imagination you think that right. you don't really know the person behind the stories right. and the essays really reflect who he was because it's a first person account and of various experiences he's had his take on bumming cigarettes and why to why people drink and about you know can graves be progressive his satirical pieces that right. is fascinating he's written letters to uncle sam which were very prophetic if you read them even today you understand how america is trying to dominate the world and 
you know, and right. he kind of saw it even 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think it was all of that that kind of just intrigued me, and there was something very free spirited, brutally honest, and uncomfortably sort of truthful about him. And in many ways, my father is like that. So I kind of started feeling like I know this man because I grew up with a very Montoyesque maverick who is often misunderstood and you know is is difficult to deal with. And okay. uh, but having grown up also admiring someone like that and living with someone like that, I think I felt like I would understand. I mean, I began to kind of understand Monto. and okay. it was just a very instinctive uh, decision it wasn't because he was a man and you know i should have done this much try or some people say oh why is he he's a pakistani writer even though he spent oh, three fourth of yeah. his life in india you know right. we try to label people he's right. just a great author you know we don't say right. william shakespeare is a, a you know british playwright we just say he's great yeah. a great playwright great playwright so um, you know i just i was just drawn to him very instinctively and mm-hmm. I, the more i read the more sort of deeper i went into knowing him and mm-hmm. his stories and his writings and i realized they were inseparable and that's right. why even in the film even though the film is about manto i chose mm-hmm. to intersperse his stories because yeah. i felt the audience needs to see them to understand him and to understand him you need to see his work so mm-hmm. that's how in that's fact even the structure of the film that's something that came to me right from mm-hmm. the beginning right no it's um fascinating when you like a couple of things that you mentioned right or uh, i'll just address the first thing right away that when we label authors right and uh, it's right. something w- very interesting i saw on twitter a couple of days back and i re- retweeted it with my comment or uh, someone from pakistan had tweeted you know in pakistan uh, when we want to share food we don't say oh, can i please have some i just we go akele akele and you know that's something that uh, i shared with my friends on twitter and it just resonated with them and that's you know one of those million things how yeah. it's actually it really doesn't matter whether you're growing up in india or pakistan like the cultural bonds are yeah. such have such i mean we strength. had the sh- same shared history just 70 exactly. years ago right i mean right. we still invoke things that have happened 2000 years ago 5000 became exactly. it as ours and you know this is the right. indian it was the exactly. indian culture yeah. indian architecture exactly etc. exactly so in some ways yeah and i've been there a few times so yeah, quite yeah. a few times in fact so that's a whole topic and it gets me a lot of uh, trolls but you know the reality is that it would be a huge disservice to divide manto in terms of nationality for sure i absolutely agree but the it other thing belongs that I, to both countries <laughs> Yeah, like for his love for Bombay, or uh, like I, we'll get to that later. But exactly, but uh, it's very it is something I know you can't separate him from India or Pakistan for that matter. <laughs> but the yeah, other Bombay, I mean, like you rightly said, he he associated most with Bombay. I mean, you know, his Bombay story collection. The reason it is like a separate collection is because he really felt that Bombay was the city that embraced him, that gave him dignity. Yeah. that kind of acknowledged his contribution also the film industry he wrote scripts mm-hmm. he acted you know so mm-hmm. bombay gave him a life that he kind of longed for uh, so something that i wanted to pick up was uh, you spoke about how you read his work for the first time in dev like in devnagri like urdu written in devnagri and later yeah. on when uh, you start working on making of the film you read his work as a translated work in english so and that's something uh, i personally have faced like as you mentioned post colonization we've just 
you know india has emerged as this this middle class culture that's come about where you just have these bunch of so many people who are who can read english right this emerging class of people right. who are uh, reading in english and interacting in english like i'm conducting this interview in english it's but, such a big divide and also it's such a right. big divide in the country I mean, that's the reality right uh, so what i wanted to actually ask you about was do you um, do you think a translation can ever capture what a author originally writes in another language so i uh, my first uh, reading of mento was a collection of short stories translated by atish tasi and uh, he uh, he wrote a very moving note about how those are still better translations actually i find them much better than right. you know no offense meant but some of the other ones <laughs> Right. the original ones actually yeah that's that's actually one of the reasons why i ended up picking it uh, up because it just felt like i'd heard that they were one of the better translated stories but uh, yeah. something that really really moved me was his uh, uh, preface where he spoke about how difficult it is to actually translate something mm-hmm. uh, a powerful language like urdu into a very limited yeah. language like english so yeah the translation so i mean i have read so many works in translation i'm sure so have you right i mean right. i'm not a purist while i mm-hmm. do think that you do lose something because language is not just the words you know with it comes the holy thoughts the culture mm-hmm. um, every choice of word the writer has sort right. of it's it's a choice that writer has made i mean someone like manto is difficult to put in that category because he never edited his writing he never mm-hmm. cut a single word so he just wrote it right. you know so there are some stories in fact written at the uh, fag end of his life when he had almost become an alcoholic but mm-hmm. uh, and there are repetitions and he would go off to some other subplot but he would always right. come back saying i know i have digressed but for mm-hmm. a good reason so right. you know he was still very agile but someone like him didn't even edit but most writers would edit you know i mean every time i passed his book monto and i i never written so many pages like so many right. so many words you know, 37000 words is a lot for me for someone who's you know i did 9 years of column writing for the week right. but those right. were 700 words at one go so i myself didn't read it i read it like once and one and a half times again but every time i would read it i wanted to change right. everything change. because it sounded right. horrible so edit so you choose every word so i'm sure in translation you lose although there are people who have done such amazing translation that uh, it it's not just it's not a transliteration you actually use the language which you are translating in the best possible way if you're doing from urdu to english you're not trying to only replicate the idioms or the phrases of urdu but trying to find the right one that would and kind of you know work in english and right. make sense and have that lyricism or whatever is needed mm-hmm. in english so and i mean today we are reading i've read all of marquez in english you know i mean right. imagine not uh, being able to read marquez just because i can't read spanish so i think mm-hmm. you know whether it's the the great russian writers or the german or spanish or french or even in our own country you know great short stories and uh literature written in malayalam or bengali or a lot of the work that we have read over the years has been in translation so i have to say i'm very grateful that there are translations of course we need to 
get better translators and i think people are now more and more realizing that translation is you know just as important and not to be seen as a secondary thing now in literature awards there are awards for translation and for good reasons so while manto uh, initially wasn't that well translated because i think they were you know from the family it was much earlier on there were old translations there wasn't that kind of interest so nobody knew really translated the very few other translated books of manto it's after 2012 that i think the interest grew in pakistan as well he was given the highest civilian award uh, nishani imtiaz you know till then they they were kind of iffy about their relationship with manto because it was being controversial um and in india of course the theater uh, groups and people in literature always admired manto but he was still fully embraced i think after 2012 and i think the film uh, there was a film called manto in pakistan as well in 2015 yeah, 15. and i think that helped people uh, understand i mean no manto and embrace him more there and i mm-hmm. want to believe that my film also has helped in you know sort of at least taking manto to a wider as films do yeah. taking manto mm. to a wider audience and i know that a lot of the publishing house are very happy because their books on manto are selling more now so, no of course yeah, you are so absolutely right there translations also coming out mm-hmm. no you are absolutely Thank right you. there Sorry. because i I've, i've had this no i've had this experience on a personal basis where i know people who absolutely don't read but uh, have come to me after yeah. catching manto either in the theaters or on netflix and just being like oh, wait you know what you yeah. have more people are watching yeah okay. and where can i pick <laughs> it it's but it's one of those things which has reached out to people generally you know when you present a, a movie about an author it's reached out to people who don't read mm-hmm. and that i think is the biggest compliment i, I guess yeah, getting got and the curiosity then increases and it's kind right. of serves both right like people who have right. read him wanted to see the film those who have seen the right. film didn't know of immanto they started reading manto and right. uh, and now there are more translations actually coming out very soon i don't know now with this lockdown everything has come to a standstill but hopefully after that there is a whole anthology that's coming out of manto's writings in english so i'm sure it will reach out to more people and also manto has been translated in many different languages and i went to japan i met urdu professors and they showed me some manto translations in japanese and there are these lovely little books that uh, individual stories in french that i saw which were beautiful like i in fact i have a thanda gosh ka chota sa you know like a literally a yeah. small book beautifully made yeah, of yeah. manto stories so it is slowly but surely kind of spreading good literature yeah. will survive the test of time i mean that's how we know it's yeah. good literature right because i'm sure there's a lot of rubbish that has come in every era but the good yeah. authors the good films good art good music will always uh, stand the test of time that's actually very true uh just moving away from manto and coming back to you so uh, something that i've always admired about your work is that it's generally been spread across or uh, shown that you've been a director you've been an actor you've written stuff you've given ted or uh, tedx talks and so something that i've always believed right uh, that which is not doesn't apply only to authors writing books but to the wider medium of art wherein people create things that they end up uh, you know putting their souls into what they're actually creating whether it's a film whether it's a script whether it's i know paint a painting yeah. right and it's an expression of 
all their lived experiences all together absolutely uh, so i'm actually very interested in your what built this shared experience of yours right like what, mm-hmm. how did how did if i can very uh, in a very cliched manner put it how did nandita das become nandita das what were these uh, mm-hmm. other what was what was the art that influenced your art <laughs> no it's it's true that you know we are informed and influenced by our life experiences and and that's a journey it's not that you can really just say okay now this is it you know the, the more experiences the more you actually expose yourself to experiences uh, the more holistic the more confusing your life is because mm-hmm. then you realize it's not any one thing you know you it, it becomes more complex but in an interesting way because uh, it's also a great way to kind of get over your own prejudices your own blocks your Absolutely. judgments because you're constantly kind of being thrown into different situations where whatever you thought was the thing is getting right. challenged and there's something right. new that's coming out um of course as a child i had in terms of the exposure to art i had a big advantage my father is a painter my mother is a writer so i was exposed to a lot of the arts i mean you know going to dance performances music concerts mm-hmm. exhibitions through my mother going to book fairs and you know book launches and that time there don't know there was many launches but there were a lot of book, uh, book conversations yeah. and yeah sort of you know readings and and also uh, just just wide range of artists who came to our house which was just a very normal thing so a great photographer or a great architect or a musician or a dancer but that's the world uh, we lived in in fact cinema was never a form of entertainment my parents were not film watchers so they never took me to any films the only film i remember from my probably the first 18 years was hathi mere sathi which with some friends i remember we'd gone and when i would come to bombay because my mother is gujarati from uh, mumbai this city and my father is from a small town called baripada in odisha so every time we would come to uh, bombay uh, my grandparents would have television we in delhi didn't even have television for years my parents didn't watch tv wow. so and now i'm coming a real full circle because i don't have a tv for my four years so you know and it's so it's such freedom and so wonderful not to have that uh, as we call it the idiot box <laughs> and uh, and when you don't have it you don't miss it and i have a 9 year old son so i don't have to tell him not to watch because it just doesn't exist um so cinema was never really that form of entertainment but when i later came into films completely by accident with fire my first film which i acted in i think all these lived experiences you know whether it was about the aesthetics that i had grown up with so you know how how you compose a shot or how, what kind of art direction for instance you want to keep what kind of music you know just hearing sound i mean film is a composite art so right. all the various art forms that you've kind of subconsciously been exposed to i'm sure comes handy and then just growing up with stories and books and uh, literature i'm sure that informed and you know influenced my own thinking and writing and right. and then i did street theater with sardar hashmi for four years i'm sure that had a certain kind of experience right. i did my masters in social work you know so that i'm sure the fact i was exposed to so many different realities uh, beyond my reality because all of us live also in silos so right. you know that informed me i'm sure in different ways i taught in rishi valley for four months which was wonderful 
that must have influenced me so over the years i think just not having an ambition not having a profession just kind of in some sense spreading yourself in which sometimes i thought was not a good thing because everyone would tell me that and i would sometimes think that oh am i you know what am i supposed to be like am i supposed to be something am i an actor but i don't do that much acting am i a director i've barely done films that i've directed you know how do you define yourself because right. everyone wants like a nice one liner i am a this and i didn't have i still don't have that i still shudder when people say so how should we describe you you know and sometimes they call me an activist sometimes social advocate sometimes writer sometimes filmmaker sometimes actor and i'm a little bit of all of that and uh, i just feel that everything that life has exposed me to i'm grateful for that even the films that nobody gets to see because i've done films in 10 different languages and people say you know why did you do those films i mean no one's even seen it and i'm like no people in kerala have seen the malayalam films and they are right. as important an audience as those who have seen my bengali right. films in bengal or a marathi right. film in you know maharashtra etc but those experiences of going to those places that i probably would have never gone to you know right. shooting in amravati or shooting in a taki jila in bengal or shooting in idiki in kerala or whatever i mean those places right. i don't think i would have normally gone and those experiences are also just as precious so i in fact tell young people a lot that just don't ask yourself should if i do this what will i get out of it or this i have to do for what you know see life more as a journey instead right. of constantly having to reach any particular goal and the goal will shift will emerge it it, it really doesn't matter right like I, i think that's that's a great point that you've made i think and especially like to people like me who are like in our mid 20s i guess is that embracing growth in terms of having shifting goal posts and realizing who you are in person as a person where you fit in this world with 7 billion other people and is yeah. a very it's a very i guess passive pressure i suppose it's not something that just constantly is on your head but just somewhere at the back of your mind and some doing something like this is just living the way you've lived is i think one of the better yeah, ways i mean that's the only of, way i know how to live given that you know um kitabi karwan's a book uh, book blog i suppose so something that i have to ask you is um i i don't want to ask a about your dread, favorite i can tell book. you that siddharth because <clears throat> i haven't been reading anything in the last several years in fact uh, <laughs> almost 10 years which is horrible and oh, wow. people think i'm just making it up because uh, you know i was an reader and then mm-hmm. at some point when i when i was close to kind of uh, releasing firaq it started mm-hmm. decreasing because i was just doing too right. many things and i started shooting and all of that mm-hmm. and then uh, when i finished firaq and i read a little bit in that final break that i had after the film was released and then soon my you know i became i mean my i was pregnant and soon i had a son and then of right. course again i didn't have the really the time because i also was the um, chairperson of the children's film society and i took my right. honorary job rather too seriously so i was already juggling when he was literally right. a day old my son mm. so since then my reading has really decreased over the years and then manto took over so you know every other work that i've done has kind of competed with my reading and my child so right. and my child has taken precedence over that reading 
I sometimes even save long form articles on my computer and my phone. I used to, well, now we don't fly, but you know, for flights yeah. or long drives that I have right. to take, so that I can read a long form article without interruption. <laughs> so right. I'm, uh, so yeah, my reading has really decreased, but I do have lots of books. I still buy books in the hope that when I have the time, I'm going to read them. So I, I have think like a big pile. <laughs> I think that's every bibliophile. They just everyone has like these huge <laughs> piles of books. But uh, no wish list of. like it was that was actually a part of my question as to what you what has caught your fancy in term in the reading world in the past few years but the actual part of my question was uh growing up right like because you've had such a as you would describe it yourself you've had such varied experiences what were the books mm-hmm. in your life that stood out for you not your favorite books that's not what i'm getting at books that had a yeah. major impact in shaping you Right, you might have hated the work, but it might just have left a lasting impression on you. Um, I think if you hate something, you don't finish the book. So I don't remember hating. I mean, I didn't. A book that comes to my mind, which I might have put in that category, had I read it, which is mm-hmm. Ayn Rand. You know, like Fountainhead. Okay. Um, a lot of my friends who read it. then completely disliked it in the later years because they felt right. it shaped them a lot but they now want to distance from right. it you know but um, i and so many of my friends told me that they kind of told me the gist of it and i was already mm-hmm. a, i think a bit left leaning so <laughs> i decided not to read it so maybe i would have put that book in that but i think marquez definitely south american writers like losa marquez mm-hmm. influenced me a lot you know neruda pablo mm-hmm. neruda and um, right. a lot of the russian authors i would say uh, right. from gorky i mean i also read plays and stuff like that to um, you know kafka to mm-hmm. a whole lot of um, i'm trying to remember um indian authors at that time we read less it's in the later years that i think i started right. reading more uh, mm-hmm. because my mother was in national book trust where uh, you know it's basically a place where you work on indian literature and translated in different languages so i don't remember reading a lot of short stories you know of great mm-hmm. writers from around the country to modern writers uh, like maybe an ov vijayan from kerala or you know from um, from bengal of course there's no dearth of writing uh, then i started also reading non fiction you know mm-hmm. even someone like amartya sen and jondres and people who are yeah. economists but came from such a social compelling space that right. it wasn't sort of pure economics and i think that um that also desire increased after i did my masters in social work and you know you're young you're idealistic but you're also full of dilemmas about life um so yeah over the years i'm trying to think what other book that kind of totally stands out vikram seth i think he's one of our greatest right. indian authors of all times yeah. like uh, i really really like his writing i just did some poetry reading of his and just two or three for the world book day somebody had asked me to read out so it was just nice revisiting and um, yeah but i'm i'm very guilty of not reading anything new for a long time but uh, i hope to change that 
So uh, just uh, I'm seeing it nearing the end of our time. So I'll just have a couple of more questions for you, right? Like just to sum up our conversation. Um, yeah. So uh, I haven't read Manto and I yet, but uh, do you think there are or uh, there's more books or like maybe fict- fiction books that you'll think you'll write in the future because you've uh, created work on screen. You've written scripts, but uh, do you think you'll just go down that line of adding that author tag to those bunch of things that you've done in life? I don't see myself as of now because I, I when right. I write, I'm thinking either I write nonfiction, like I said, I used to write columns for almost uh, right. nine years. I wrote so every month, but it was usually just responding to something happening around me or somebody I've met or. something right. that's troubling and disturbing me or you know one of those things so i think it's non fiction that i uh, gravitate towards or even manto and i in that sense is a very stream of consciousness first person account it's uh, you know of the whole journey right from the, your question as to when was manto introduced to you to you know how did you think of making a film to right. what happened uh, the trials and tribulations of releasing a film like that and you know the, the the problems that you face and taking it to campuses how do you get a crew how do you raise funds uh, mm-hmm. how do you find places that can recreate the times you know mm-hmm. how do you even recreate bombay and lahore of the 40s in today's modern day clutter and yeah. you know that whole journey so it was also cathartic for me and uh, it kind of dealt with many levels it was not just the creative journey it was not just the emotional journey but it was all of it it was creative socio political emotional um, you know what was it to make this film by being a mother what is a female gaze how do i deal with the tag of woman director so many different things kind of found its way into it so it's a very very personal book and it's a big heavy book because uh, it's um, it's also a picture book because it's got lots of photographs i thought because it's a film is a visual medium and if right. you haven't seen the film you kind of enjoy getting glimpses of the process of the film and right. the writings uh, will pique your interest to watch it and if you've seen the film you'll be able to relate to it and say hmm okay yeah that scene I was wondering how did they right. even do it or you know who was this actor who played fez for instance or whatever right so those kind of things it's it's a it's a storytelling literally but i don't see myself really writing a story not as of now <laughs> I'll probably okay. convert it into a film. <laughs> That's disappointing as a reader, really excited as a viewer. <laughs> so um okay. Well. For my last question it's actually not a question it's just uh just what advice would you give or what would you say to a person or like to millions of young people out there who are engaging in different art forms and are slightly I know you know being told oh tum you're always in books or you always keep painting you just waste too much time on dancing like what would your mm-hmm. message be to all these people out there who are i know who love their art but are just not really given the opportunity to yeah it as much as well, they I want mean, it's easy to tell them it's it's an easy advice that they already know that follow your heart you know do what really makes you happy because finally that's the feeling you would want to grow up with right i mean we we do something for a certain thing what is that thing in your mind if it is happiness then you would be the happiest doing what you really love doing and it is possible 
to even make your ends okay. meet if your needs aren't ostentatious if you don't want too much right. uh, you know right. if that's not your goal then it is definitely but the trouble is not that the trouble is when uh, people don't know what they really want to do like i remember i used to give a lot of talks i still do with to young people and many years ago almost 15 years ago i was in a college and i said something about follow your heart and one uh, girl got up and said uh, mama but i don't even know what my heart wants i've never had the mm-hmm. opportunity to do things that are of interest you know that that i think i would be interested in and i realized that uh, my upbringing is a privilege i undermine because just to be able to uh, have the freedom to do whatever to be able to ask questions to not have to do a mba or not have to be pushed into being a doctor engineer the usual stuff and you know never to i never was question as to why you're doing what you're doing is if you're truly doing it with a sense of meaning purpose joy then that's it you know and and i realized that our education system our familial setup does not encourage us to do different things but expressing oneself through art is not an elite activity it's a very primal thing that's why the cave men and women you know painted in their caves that's why even a tribal woman you know decorates her basket or weaves her, you know they weave their sarees with certain patterns they could just do it if it's just a matter of functional it being functional so i think right. that that um, expression to be able to express yourself through art is a real gift that you can give to yourself so uh, yeah just expose yourself to different things try out don't fear failure it's not to prove anything to anyone uh, you know, just go with the flow i mean even the short film that i launched two days ago it was a very impulsive response to an article that i read about overburdening women and then i was of course reading about how domestic violence has surged and i just wanted to bring these two threads together about women in homes so i literally right. just wrote it i did a second draft i shot it three mornings because of the light changes afternoon and uh, you know and i didn't know whether it would it would resonate would it touch the right nerve would it not but i just put it out there and i'm truly overwhelmed uh, with the response so i think sometimes not worrying about what's going to happen from it kind of right. also frees you to do what your heart really tells you to do well that's that's a very one really heartwarming message to actually take to people that's thank you so much for doing this that was a very thank you so much sweet of you to do this thank you so much for appearing on thank our you. podcast all the best thank you for listening to kitabi karwan this was the final episode of our first season of the interview series we'll be back very soon with the series but in the meantime we will keep coming up with interesting podcasts for you if you've liked our work please don't forget to hit subscribe follow like and comment on our podcast thank you